Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the alternate Dynamite review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by Andy Murray to discuss everything that happened in a sort of a more freeform way than the usual on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, WWE Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, premium live events, pay-per-views. We have wrestling interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Now, as I said, it's just a free form, shorter than usual, but I've noticed no less than about six people have said, oh, we're going to get Sidgwick's thoughts today, Mm. and it wasn't planned, but we thought, why the hell not? Murray and I both enjoyed the show to varying degrees. It was a really, really great episode of Dynamite. Very eventful, so we thought, why the hell not? Murray, yeah. what did you make of it? Yeah, it was a really, really good show. There was one notable thing that I didn't enjoy, which I, maybe we'll get to. I don't know. We've got no script. We're like the revival. No script, just fists. We're going to punch the microphone repetitively for, for 30 minutes. But yes, no, it was a very good show. Uh, the, the peak level stuff was tremendous, and most of it was in the ring as well, which is always my favorite on Dynamite. Uh... It's a great show, really, wasn't it? I thought it was great. On my scale, I give it a 9.2. I do the pitchfork scale because I'm that much of an unbearable hipster oh, prick. best new wrestling. Best new wrestling. <laughs> there was not one lull for me. There was something that maybe didn't hit as much as I kind of hoped or the people involved might have hoped, but it was still a nice moment. Other than that, absolutely no lulls. Some of the storytelling was tremendous. Some of the plotting was tremendous. Uh, the range of action was great, great promos, great angles, just an absolute great time. Uh, we'll start at the jump. I'm not going to give you the rundown. Uh, this is just a short free-form little opinions. Bollocks uh, fest. Bollocks fest, yeah. yeah. CM Punk, if you want uh, the rundowns, uh, Adam Wilborn and Michael Hamflet, I believe, recorded one live in the States or just, you know, after the show. So go and uh, listen to that one. This is just a supplementary thing for yeah. the mega fans. won't be as hot as ours, but... Be good. Ours will be fitter. Ours will be fitter. Leaner. Sexier. Sexier. Uh, CM Punk starts a show, defeats Max Caster. It basically existed for two purposes, neither of which was the match itself. (laughs) Everyone wanted Max Caster to do a Will Smith line and a rap. Um, CM Punk needed to cut a promo to, like, articulate uh, the body language intending his next move um, last week. And the match itself, I would describe as... Absolutely adequate in length and content. The whole gist was that CM Punk gave Max Caster quite a bit. Max Caster will eventually learn from this experience in one or two years' time if he's going to get really, really good at this. Um, A learning experience for him, a padded win for CM Punk, after which he cuts a promo where he talks about how awesome his grey beard is. By the time it gets even more grey... Uh, by the time he leaves AEW, his beard will be more grey. Old Man Punk is such a great it's character. It's tremendous. 
And by the time he leaves AEW, he'll have more scars in his head from bleeding. And by the time he leaves AEW, he will have been world champion. We touched on this on the news, which, of course, you can watch on our YouTube channel. I kind of, I like to reach, you're reaching, bro. I kind of took this as a little hint that he's not going to be world champion soon, but someday. Maybe a bit of foreshadowing. I don't know if I'm looking into it too much. Um, it's always nice to see CM Punk do a pile driver because he wasn't allowed to in the old place and he got told off, and I just think he likes to do it for the crack. Uh, what did he make of all of this? Yeah, it was good. Like, the... The thing with the match is that even if you were to sit there and apply a star rating to it or whatever using con- a conventional skill, you're going to go and go, oh, like two and three quarters or something. It was pretty good. It was fine. It got to the point. But even within it, there were like little details that you wouldn't necessarily get in other places. So like things like, and it, it's so simple. Everyone should do this, but not everyone does it. So it's why it stands out. Little things like CM Punk selling the back from last week's match, which then when Max Caster, he spends the first couple of minutes screwing around, trying to escape, trying to get to the ropes, doing Toro Yano stuff between them um, because he's outclassed. When he figures out, oh yeah, I could just, I can hurt this guy's back. This guy's still banged up. Yeah, that gives him like another avenue to control. And like, yeah, it's not the most eyeball popping opener of all time, but when you have little bits and pieces like that, it's like, okay, that's something I can sink my teeth into. Um, so I appreciate that even in this otherwise very standard get to the point six, seven minute TV match, CM Punk is still giving you details, baby. It's great stuff. It's like having him back is it's like, I, I never want to not have him again. We went seven and a half years or whatever it was, six and a half without this guy. And now he's back and he's just serving up main courses every single time. It's awesome. Um, even when the match doesn't peak particularly high, it is still going to be worth watching. Um, sorry. No, that's all right. Go on. As far as the title stuff goes, there, everything is just kind of compelling at the moment, isn't it? Because, like, Paige, I think, like, early criticisms of his title run, I think, were warranted. But I think they were blown away the minute he had his first match with Brian Danielson. I know some people have had a, a tough time letting go of those criticisms. He doesn't feel as important, blah, blah, blah. I completely disagree. I think as soon as he hit that Danielson match, and as soon as him and Danielson put in the work to establish Paige as a wrestler on caliber with the best wrestler in the world in canon, it's what Brian Danielson is, um... That the, all of those were gone. So we had this earlier point. Oh, is he a better chaser? Should he just have a short reign? Should he be a guy who continually claws his way back up, has a short reign, and then loses it? The case is there now for him to have a length, maybe not as long, but comparable certainly to John Moxley and Kenny Omega in length. He doesn't need to lose it anytime soon. I think he's doing a sterling job. The Adam Cole storyline isn't for me, but that's fine. We're allowed to like different things. Um, he could lose it at to CM, he's going to be called a battle of the belts, obviously. He could lose it to CM Punk and it'd be absolutely fine because then you can do fun stuff like CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston again. That would be cool. Um, or it can be a massive feather in his cap after already beating Brian Danielson. Imagine him beating CM Punk. It's the kind of thing where you know in AEW, like if this happens, oh God, I'm going to be I'm going to be a fanny and compare AEW and WWE. But when WWE give you a capital M moment, it's, it's often hollow. It rarely means anything. Oh, you won at WrestleMania, but you lost three matches in a row after that. Whatever, whatever. Uh, if AEW is going to do this, they're going to build to it in a way that means that both people coming out of it are going to get exactly what they need from the storyline. So I have all the faith in the world in whatever they do being 
for the benefit of the belt, the performers, and all of that stuff. It's very exciting. CM Punk rules. Shout-outs to all my grey beard friends out there. You're all good. I'm desperate for mine to get that bit more grey, just because I want to look... I don't look anything like him. He's an incredibly yeah. handsome guy with an actual chin, but just if I can just <laughs> get the beard down and get that yeah. a little bit more grey and look more distinguished, I would really enjoy that. Yeah, there's loads of things they can do with the world title, and... There will be bad faith discourse if CM Punk, the guy who left because the uh, the so-called biggest stars pushed him out because he didn't get the chance. Look, at the end of the day, at this point, as you pointed out, with Hangman Adam Page beating Kenny Omega clean in the middle after that um, epic reign, uh, defeating Brian Danielson clean in the middle. In terms of his, um, I think Dave Meltzer reported that, if you look at Google and the, the quarter hours, like the interest in Hangman Page versus Adam Cole was so high that they felt like they had to run it back. Yeah. He's like on par with Punk, Danielson, Omega, Moxley, Jericho in this company. So it's not like he's the homegrown guy who's nearly there and he's been usurped by Punk. But these are conversations for a different day. Um, they had a quick backstage pre-tape interview, a live interview, but backstage uh, with FTR, and MJF clearly sowing the um, seeds of dissension um, within the pinnacle in an absolutely great line. They put up the wanted, uh, not wanted, but like, beware, yeah. Wardlow, banned from the premises. If you see this man, get him out of here because he's not allowed in the uh, on like in the venue. FTR, say to MJF, like, this is between you and him. We are like mates with you both. Absolutely none of our business whatsoever. Basically putting over the fact that they're good guys and uh, they are about to really solidify their babyface turn soon. I think what was most notable here, from a quality standpoint, was MGF, who's played a sociopathic manipulator from day one in this company, saying, I don't really want to say this to you guys, but Wardlow used to ta- talk sh- about you all the time. Everyone knows someone like this in their real life, and these people are the worst, and MGF is so good at recognizing what the worst people are yeah. because it's great heat. Yeah. Gaslighting, manipulative bastard, telling yes. porky pies behind his guy's back. Yeah, it's really. I I thought Dax in particular stood out in here for his body language. Dax is so great at everything. Cash is obviously great as well, but like Dax at the moment really feels like he's having a bit of a bit of a moment, and it's great stuff. I'm really into the the tug of war here, the FTR emerging babyface characters, where they just cut these promos about my family and this business, and it's like. The kind of thing that we would like <laughs> normally laugh at, but they're so great at it, 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 it works. Uh, more to cover with the Wardlow stuff, obviously, later in the show. But yes, yeah, it's just a great table setter for the what well, these guys were in like three segments together. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. They feel like an absolutely massive deal, and they're working to that standard as well, as we'll get to later. But before that, um, John Moxley versus Jay Lethal. This is one of those matches where, as with. Virtually every Jay Lethal match, I have no emotional investment for reasons that we have said um, previously, uh, quite often in the past. Um, but he kind of works me into them beyond and in spite of myself because he's genuinely really good at this. Um, it's a bad faith take to say that um, Jay Lethal isn't over or whatever. People love him. Yes. And I honestly think his work is genuinely he really, really good. Had dueling chance with Moxley in this match. So there you go. It's like, I understand. Like, look, I, when, when Jay Lethal debuted in AEW and I wrote it, wrote it up, his first match uh, in the ups and downs column on the website, I literally wrote an 800-word essay instead of reviewing the match about why this signing this guy was horrendous optics, the things he'd been accused of, the details of the lawsuit, all of that stuff. So I'm well aware of the stuff surrounding this guy and, you know, the accusations are very unpleasant. Um, but... 
to deny that he is over is kind of silly to me. You cannot like him. Uh, I, you know, for those reasons, I'm not his biggest fan. Um, Work-wise, I think he's a very solid pro wrestler. But to deny these just reactions that are coming to you through the television is quite silly. It's very, very silly. I had very low expectations of this match because I thought the styles clash would be far too much. You've got John Moxley, who's a really great, hard-nosed brawler who really gets the rhythms of how to work, like a strong style match as well. And Jay Lethal, who's very much near the top of that sort of almost... Well, I was going to say unfashionable. No, it isn't. People go mad for Adam Cole and Jay Lethal. But for me, I'm kind of past the kick pad, hybrid, super modern indie guy. So I thought, how are they going to work well together? And the answer genuinely was like pretty fantastically. Like there were so many little moments in this match where they were jockeying for position. Uh, There was sort of, there was one sequence where Jay Lethal was trying to apply a hold and John Moxley sort of realized what he was doing sort of preemptively trying to get out of it. But it was like, Jay Lethal was kind of like chess master stuff in this match as well. Like, it was really, really, really well done. Like, the perfect match these two men could have had together. Um, It kind of ruins the vibe to talk about it and put it over too much, given one of the members involved. But what were your thoughts really on it? Yeah, I I thought it felt like it took a while for them to start going through the gears early on. But once they found the story, it was really good stuff. Like... Again, it's just like another TV match that would be otherwise unremarkable, enhanced by them actually telling a story and not just going out and having a pinfall, pinfall, pinfall type match. Work the leg, so simple. And also you're in the Carolinas and you're going to do a figure four on him. Ric Flair, the connections. It's it's so simple, but so smart to do. Um, and it was very effective here as well, because in order to get away from, like, the grappling stuff, John Moxley had to get really brutish and start, like, goading him into a slap exchange, putting the hands behind the back. The lariat bump that Jay Lethal took was absolutely spectacular when Moxley was like, stop working my leg, you little so-and-so, smack. It was really good stuff. And towards the end, the he's going for the, you know, going for the figure four. If he gets this on the injured leg that he's been working over, it's going to be over. John Moxley wins in the end, of course. Um, earns the respect of the, the big, ugly bastard from the Blackpool Combat Club. It, it's just a good little story. Um, John Moxley came out of that knowing that had he got the submission on him, and the crowd would have popped huge for that, obviously, given the location, uh, he'd have been absolutely screwed. So, yeah, it, it's just a really good use of... Two good wrestlers, and like, I, I just really appreciate it when companies establish a thread, some legwork, or or whatever body part you're working, whatever the story is, develop it throughout the match and pay it off. It's just pro wrestling. It shouldn't be this complicated thing. It's really cool. It shouldn't be this complicated thing, but there is like some really thoughtful stuff going on, and I might even dish, I might even do the catchphrase. Go on, man. There's some deft dovetailing <laughs> storytelling here because what you have is like really consistent with John Moxley's character. He has said, right before Revolution, I will only tag with someone or partner up with someone if I've bled with them first. So the idea didn't quite go this way, but it's a sort of an extension of that. It's consistent with his character. When Jay Lethal offered the opening handshake, um, Moxley was like, no, like you're not worthy of that yet. Right, and it's, it's the same thread of the Blackpool Combat Club and every player involved wanting to earn the respect or have the opponents earn the respect um, before they actually award it. And the fact that the match was so great, like, he could justify um, Moxley believing that um, Lethal had earned his respect. 
And on the other side of the coin, uh, Jay Lethal was really gutted, really gutted because he's been talked about how he's not really done it on television enough and he's sort of, that record he had developed on YouTube sort of fading away, clear um, hints towards a heel turn. So I really like the idea, in principle, because I'm not really in emotionally invested in the character, but I like, in principle, the idea of them drawing out a heel turn so it's not mm. too cartoonish and just the whole black and white thing of a goodie and a baddie. I get it, but earn it. And this really did earn it with yeah. that agonizing decision of, oh, should I shake his hand? Yes, because I'm not a bad man, but I'm probably going to become one if my failures start to overcome. So I generally thought all that character work yeah. and the overlapping storytelling. Somebody slid into my mentions this morning with a really cool fantasy booking idea that maybe will come from this. Um, what if coming out of Supercard of Honor, we end up somehow with a feud that is the Blackpool Combat Club versus like the Ring of Honor pure guys? What is the truest form of pro wrestling? You've got Jay Lethal, you've got Jonathan Gresham, you've got Josh Woods, who's the current pure champion. You can add someone to the Combat Club. I think that's really cool. Uh, and it's right up my street as a boring, serious wrestling guy. Aye. Perfect. Well, it sounds perfect for you, not for me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good for me, but, you know, not quite my speed. But, um, I'll go five stars, brother. On your speed. <laughs> on the subject of speeds and people's speeds, um, you were very much dazzled, I think, by the, um, well, the work that went to create the video package and the package itself on Marina Shafir. Yeah, like, it was really short and simple, and it was just clips from her dark stuff. But, like, uh, like the she's, she's developed this really interesting aura since leaving WWE. When she was in WWE, and she debuted with Jessamine Duke alongside uh, Shayna Baszler, of course, and they came out, and obviously they couldn't really wrestle, right? They were really green. But her character, she came across as like a really smarmy, annoying heel. Like she, It seemed like she had that down, even when she was just making a ring entrance or whatever. And the bell rings, and you know, it's whatever. Um, so she's come out of WWE now, and just develop this really cold, uncaring, stoic, killer vibe. And it's married to her real-life experience in combat sports. And it makes her a really interesting prospect, I think. There's not really anyone in AEW who has that vibe. Um, watching a couple of squ her squashes on Dark, she carries it through to the ring. Very, I've no idea where she is like as a wrestler, so I can't sit down and go, she's going to be incredible in five years or whatever. Maybe she will be. Maybe she'll be incredible when she wrestles Jade Cargill. We'll find out. Um, but I'm just fascinated by her as a developmental prospect. Um, she definitely showed little flashes in NXT, but n never substantially pushed in the ring or anything like that. So it's just interesting. I like interesting as much as I like great in pro wrestling. And uh, fair play to her for coming out of that company, crafting some kind of new persona. Just a stoic killer is one of a can't-fail wrestling character when done right. So short little video package here but i thought quite effective and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what she can do against jade yeah absolutely i think it's a really inspired match to book and i echo those thoughts on this specific package and and sorry in general i'd really like to see them do more um acknowledgement on television of what happens on dark and dark elevation on the youtube shows it it's was a, a nice reminder that it exists people have had the same complaint and i think it's a rare good faith complaint of AEW's um, presentation and the use of the ranking system and how Jay Lethal beating guys in four, five, six, seven minutes on dark. 
gets him to number three. Where CM Punk in the rankings? Like, I do understand to a degree. It's worked. Obviously, it's completely worked. And this does happen in like boxing and UFC, but they don't really work very well in themselves either. Is that an excuse? If you just show me in clipped form, Jay Lethal like hitting lethal injection once or twice, so we know I can buy it as a finish in the TV matches because that's one of the flaws of the Moxley Jay Lethal match. That yeah. move is pretty silly. It's so easily counted, but I will be prepared to not believe that if I see clips of a Jay Lethal winning on dark, um, AEW's substantiating why he's getting these shots, why he's having this televised storyline. So not only do you get his finish over, but you get the fact that he's winning over. Just more of this, generally, uh, more of this. And, you know, more of FTR work and Babyface because this was an absolute triumph that I could scarcely believe. I knew it was going to work because they're excellent at their craft, but I just didn't know how it was going to work for two reasons. One, I've never seen it. Two, they are essentially the Midnight Express for the 2010s and the 2020s. And you just don't know how it would work. And not just that, but like they, as baby faces, their whole gimmick was they know every cut off. They know how to cut the ring in half. They know how to cheat and obscure the referee and deceive the referee and all the rest of it. So how is this going to work when their whole bit was they are great at being a heel Southern style tag team? Is it going to work? Will I buy it if they then fall for the heels tricks? The answer is yes, because Dax Harwood is incredible. And he put put over Cash Wheeler as well, because obviously, as you said, um, Harwood's having his day at the moment. Cash Wheeler's still great. His shine was amazing. He was on fire. He was on fire. He's an explosive athlete. He does some really cool, like, witty spots where he feigns to punch, and then they're not actually doing them, and they run scared. It's a nice, like, sort of visual slapstick. One of the reasons why I fell in love with this match, even though it wasn't like a five star, but there's a there's a value to matches that aren't great in themselves, but like established character threads yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. Dax Harwood being the guy patiently waiting for the hot tag, remonstrating with the referee, works so goddamn well because he's like the king of deception. So when he's like sat there, stood there stewing that a referee isn't seeing that the gun club are cheating, which is what every babyface yeah. does in a tag team match. It works with such a gravitas because in my head, Dax Harwood is conveying something to the effect of, why are you falling for this cheating? Take it from me. That's not even particularly crafty. <laughs> why are you so thick to like, you know what I mean? It just yeah, really yeah. works on that level. Yeah. Like we kind of called this a little bit yesterday, didn't we? Where it's like, you look purely at their work and they're, the, the, the style they try and craft is like the pure Southern heel cutoffs segments all of that stuff but then you also consider like well who else are they watching when they get these fantastic tapes uh, rock and roll express tapes it's those babyface teams as well uh, and as total wrestling nerds who i mean uh, the, the, they've probably watched more matches than everyone in the world combined somehow uh guys as sharp as that are going to find a way to make it work and like it, it it does help that Gun Club are two completely unlikable dudes. Like, there's nothing... Like, and this is a credit to them. It's not me ripping them. That's their characters. They're totally obnoxious. They just, I thought they were great. Yeah, same. Like, they just shout and they scream and they thrust their hips. And legitimately, I'm not a hard man. I'm very weak, but I want to punch them in the face. Mm-hmm. They do their job really well. Um, so, yeah, this was neat. This was good. Um, the Wardlow stuff in the middle, obviously that 
takes precedent over the match itself. This was uh, a good opportunity to kind of showcase Gun Club around that, I thought. Often when a storyline interrupts a match, you roll your eyes. I feel like this is a little bit different because obviously the Wardlow MGF and the pinnacle and all that is a lot bigger than Gun Club. And yet they still found a way to make Gun Club feel a bit more important by involving them in this storyline. It wasn't just something that came along and completely shunted them out of the picture because they finished the match as well. It went on after all the kerfuffle. So, yeah, it was a good time across the board. Uh, just, it's good TV wrestling. Really, really good TV wrestling. We would be remiss, of course, because an angle happened and unfolded midway through this match involving Wardlow, and it was incredible. Yeah. One pedantic take to get it out of the way. The staging of the scene. AEW do this sometimes, and I say, Why? Why? Because why? They are so good at creating these really elegant storylines. We're going to get to the Wheeler Utah Ascension. It's unbelievable. How can the company that can do something like the Wheeler Utah Ascension storyline be so thick to block the scene and make it look like Wardlow storming through the concessions area when it's like a wrestling gimmick table with like twelve things of popcorn? Yeah. And no, like, no guy Kane, selling Kane it. wasn't even there. Yeah. Mental. There's no one selling it. It's clearly a gimmicked backstage environment that no fan is allowed in. So why make it look like that? Like, have yeah. some more care. But it didn't matter. And the reason why it didn't matter is because Wardlow absolutely rules. rules. This is an absolutely perfect use of him. We established earlier in the night that he's um, barred from every venue because it's part of his contract now with MJF. He doesn't care. He wants his hand on MJF because he's been talking about his family. And he's paying him to sit at home and he's like suppressing his career ambitions and all the rest of it. So Wardlow rampages through the building in awesome style. He kills loads of uh, security guards. It's incredible. Gets out of the arena. He gets a huge bab. It's outrageous. This guy's an absolute superstar. And he just gets subdued because there are simply too many. The yes. numbers game catches up with him. Then the match proceeds to unfold. In the post-match, um, FTR and MGF, there's yet more dissension mm -hmm. there still. I'm not saying, right, that Wardlow is going to incite a new mainstream boom and get 6 million viewers for AEW Dynamite and all the rest of it. This is Austin adjacent stuff in terms of the plotting. And what sure. I mean by that is... He doesn't win the day, but nor does he just get heat angle upon heat angle. He always gives thing. He always gives the audience something to pop for. Nice action set piece without doing stuff with yeah. trucks because that's too sports entertainment. It's a wrestling version of Austin and the Attitude Era in terms of he gives you a little bit of catharsis every week. Um, he doesn't get heat angles done on him because he's just a badass and that wouldn't work. And people want to see more and more. And it's just little victories. Yes, the they've done this magnificently, haven't they? From the from the big turn, if you will, if you will, at the pay per view to the screw job in the TNT title match, the MJF promo. It's great. Prolong the gratification for as long as you possibly can um, until you get to the end point. The pop he got when he came through from the concession quote-unquote, concessions area into the arena was absolutely monstrous. It was one of the biggest ones of the night. So there's your test. He's passed it with flying colors. Um, it helps that he's coming across, like when he had his promo shortly after the MJF turn, came across so charming and so likable. A little bit rough around the edges, but in a way that's kind of endearing and makes it even better somewhat. Uh, 
They've just done such a great job in building this guy. I remember the early days that we were sitting there and he debuted like a good three or four months before he had his first match with Cody. And we're like, what's going on, what's going on with this guy? Like, he's not had a match yet. But now you see removed, I mean, we've known this for a while, but removed from everything, you look at the, just, it started in the slowest way imaginable with the weird Terminator fight on the roof at that pay-per-view video that they aired. Comes in, he's just in the background, building in character, building in personality, has his first match. Now he's ready to explode. It's really good stuff. Really great. And again, the proof is in the crowd reactions. Not the, you know, toot my own horn, but um, as I booked it, um, Chris Jericho and the Appreciation Society were cutting a promo backstage. (laughs) They did the same gimmick last week uh, where they were peeking behind the curtains. And um, I think it was Daddy Magic who peeked behind one curtain um, to the audience's left. They claim that they're, they're running scared or they're too beaten up to come and uh, confront them. They peek behind the other one and Kingston, Santana, Ortiz are there. Brawl springs out, uh, sorry, sprawls out towards the ring and um, it looks like Santana and Ortiz are going to hit the street sweeper. Jericho gets out of it and basically because it's five on three, the heels get the advantage. I think I'm generous because I like all the players involved and I know that this is going to end up being great. This didn't do all that much mm. for me. I think there's a certain intrigue in which two guys are going to um, join up with Eddie Santana and Ortiz. But for me, it just felt a little bit like, I don't know, I could have done without it this week. Yeah, it was fine. It, I don't think it really needed to exist. Um, to be honest, like I like everyone involved as well, particularly Eddie Santana and Ortiz. And I think like little bits and pieces like Garcia wearing a blue Kangol. <laughs> like... <laughs> He just hey he's he's picking up little bits and pieces from 2.0 into uh, as to how to like grab attention in a scene without completely stealing it like 2.0 have been doing it since day one like standing there gurning and making like coked out facial expressions and stuff um it's it's that's cool i appreciate that but i don't know dragged on a little bit for sure yeah. it, it Almost had the feel of one of the old style inner circle style gangland beatdowns when they're getting the bat out and beating these guys up and stuff. But maybe could have been a bit brisker. Um, or maybe just, you know, have another Jericho Appreciation Society promo and then do the return next week or something. Yeah. Little flat, but yes, I like everyone involved and I want to find out who the, the two guys that uh, Eddie's boys recruit are going to be. Absolutely. The, the, this next segment, right? Didn't last very long. Sets up like a nice mid-card match down. I piss myself. One of my favorite things about AEW Dynamite is when they completely wrong-foot you with something out of nowhere, and it's amazing. And just someone's come up with a really great guy. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I like comedy. <laughs> gag here was Jade Cargill and Smart Mark Sterling are backstage. They're discussing who the potential challenger for number 30 is going to be. And Smart Mark Sterling um, wants a rubber challenger because he just wants to pad that record yeah. out. He wants to make money, easy money off his client. And in a sort of foreshadowing a baby face to him potentially, and this is inevitable because everyone knows Jade Cargill. Yeah. Jade Cargill's like, who is it? <laughs> and then the librarian Lever Bates comes out. <laughs> I howled. I howled with laughter like a deep cut. Like, we are now reaching a point where, like, sort of AEW has its own Brooklyn brawler. Yeah. That's how lived in this company is and the rich history and how it feels like it's been around for quite some time at this point. So I love how they're, like, playing with their own history in a sort of self-deprecating yes. way. I just howled. It was so funny. And fair play to Lever Bates. She's really um, a backstage asset and a charity yeah. ambassador. She's very well regarded and she does great jobs when she's not in the wrestling ring. Fair goddamn play to Lever Bates for recognizing not that good at wrestling but I can own that and have yes. a little bit of fun with it. And Jay Cargill turns around to Smart Mark Sterling. And this is another reason why you have managers. This is another reason why you don't be a cheap bastard. If you're a billionaire, spend the money and make things good because this is really good. What happened was Smart Mark Sterling is putting over Marina Shafir because he's scared of her. This conveys to the audience, this is a threat to the title. But Jade Cargill doesn't have to do that because she's a badass and she can say, bring it on. Yeah. So she yeah. loses nothing of her aura, nothing of how good she thinks she is, but they still put over Shafir because the manager does it. Yeah. Wrestling's good. It's Sports really entertainment good. sucks. Really, it's really and good. Everyone stuff. on Reddit, most of, everyone who read on Reddit who isn't listening to this podcast right now is the worst. Yes. There you go. He's the base. I hate, I hate <laughs> the man. Such a great them. balance, isn't it? Because um, you don't want to outright bury your opponent, but of course the cocky heel is going to be a cocky heel. But your smart Mark Sterling, who thinks he was throwing an easy layup, and then is like, "Oh bollocks, she picked she picked the tough one. That's going to kind of suck." And uh, yeah, like I said earlier, it's a it, weird pairing, a really interesting pairing. I'm here for weird as much as I am obviously good. Uh, and Jade continues to come across excellently in these backstage promos. Like, little bits and pieces like her attitude here, and obviously nobody cares about that karate sh the other week. She's so awesome, man. Like, I, c I couldn't imagine being one of these guys who's like, oh, look at her technique on that DDT. It's, it's not perfect, is it? Shut up, nerd. Still like, like hurts, so... Yeah, exactly. It's it's pro wrestling. It's it's about working around weaknesses. Like, that's the whole point of the show. Um, Jade rules. I'm looking forward to this. It was good. Mark Sterling has kind of found his role as well, hasn't he? Because, like, early on, he showed up. And he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's a charismatic guy. He's good. But, like, when he first showed up alongside Jade, it was like, who's this geek? Oh, it's the guy John Moxley beat up in that awful disaster of an angle slash match. And you're like, oh, God, this really diminishes her aura. But we're not at that stage anymore. He's slotted in nicely. He's found his voice. Jade's aura is now so impenetrable that she could probably be hanging out with she could probably have Leva Bates as her manager and make it work because Leva's on-screen character, like you've said, is now basically the Brooklyn the Brooklyn brawler. Hey! Hey! 
kill me now. Uh, and yes, again, I like what you said. Uh, by all accounts, a lovely person who does tremendous work behind the scenes. Uh, so it's cool that she can come on screen every now and then and be in these cool little spots. I think it's awesome. Speaking of awesome, I, I, I was so high on what I followed. I generally think this is a television masterpiece of professional wrestling. I'm not going to try and turn this into uh, an epic meditation on the star rating system, but I'm going to do that a little <laughs> bit, right? It is Brian Danielson versus Wheeler Utah, right? And this was yet another Brian Danielson masterpiece. He's had better, longer form matches, more important matches. Um, this was, this might be his masterpiece over the past two weeks of television, you know. Wheeler Utah. Two, three, four weeks ago was a guy who I think a lot of AEW fans considered a technical prodigy with no mm. personality. And I'm yeah. And I know he's shown more on the indies, yep. but on TV it is different. Um I certainly kind of had that opinion. And uh Danielson's crowd psychology, storytelling ability, Wheeler Utah matching that on the two nights. This is a masterpiece. So what happened over the past two weeks is that I had the singles match this week and then Last week or two weeks ago, we had the uh, Utah and Taylor versus... Yes, yes. A couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. Either way, what happens across these two matches is that Utah drip feeds a little bit of fire. A little bit of uh, resolve. When he's getting kicked in, he doesn't crumple in agony. He takes it. He takes a beating, but he's nowhere near Danielson. The progression is so great. And the little nuances are so fantastic that this time he goes move for move, even counters moves, even outwits Danielson with a drop kick. The idea, with no exposition whatsoever, no commentator telling you who to invest in, no act that WWE gave up on two years ago, Ricochet, and have decided, oh, you can just be the champion again. None of that stuff. Through the absolute mastery of crowd psychology, when to do certain things, how much to do at a certain time, how much more to give them later on in the match. Within, what, three weeks, they've got fans going absolutely ballistic yeah. for Wheeler Utah, yeah. crowning him as the next baby face, in, I might add, a completely different way to Wardlow. Yeah. Just, it's like virtuoso stuff. It's multi-instrumentalist brilliance. It's like Prince, goddammit. Prog. It's just great. Yeah. Like, and then Utah, the spitting stuff. There's all sorts of great stuff in the match that I'm going to let you put over imminently. But the star rating system, right? It It's it's like the Oscars and TV where more serious, lengthy fare is considered award-worthy. Mm. I call bollocks on that. I, I there are call bollocks. There are several, like, black comedies. There are several romantic comedies. I, I A great romantic comedy is obviously better than a really ponderous war drama. But because it's earnest and serious and long, it sweeps award seasons. And it's kind of the same in wrestling. Like, you don't give a five-minute wrestling match five stars. Yeah. Even though some five-minute wrestling matches are five stars, the best in that particular genre at what they are setting out to achieve. In terms of getting Wheeler Yuta over as a babyface, who can go toe-to-toe with Brian Danielson as an ascension story out of nowhere... This is a five-star TV match, except it isn't a five-star wrestling match, yeah. if that makes any sense. The crowd crowd psychology is the successful ability to manipulate the audience, the success of which is measured by their reaction. To go from what reactions Yuta was getting a month ago to what he's getting now, Brian Danielson is the best crowd psychologist of all time. 
sensational breakdown. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, the thing I grapple with, with well, I grappled with the star ratings for years and eventually settled on, you know what? Like Dave outlines, like, when you, when you listen to him break down the criteria, he tries to make it as objective as possible and, and, and talks about, like, how involved the crowd are and, and how story threads are woven in and lots of stuff. So, like, a good example would be when he uh, reviewed the Kenny Omega, John Moxley, uh, the first Lights Out match in AEW. He was like, I didn't really enjoy this. Um, but was it four and a half he settled on? Four and a half, I Yeah, so it's not like a reflection of his enjoyment per se. He's trying to apply these standards. I learned a while ago, screw it. Just going to rate things by how much I enjoy yeah. them. Um, so by that stance, Predator is a better movie than The Irishman, right? Yeah, it's, Predator's a better movie. Predator's a five-star movie. The Irishman's a four and a half-star movie. Which one is more critically acclaimed? Hello. Uh, the Big Lebowski is a better film than The Irishman. So bits and pieces like that. I love that distinction. Um, this match, this was great. Like, this was so great. Wheeler Utah is another one of these guys who's coming to AEW and similar boat to Garcia, whereby comes in, you lay eyes on him, and you see what he's doing on TV, and you see little flashes, and you go, okay, cool, cool, cool. But if you're not, like, aware, if you're not a nerd like me who has ridiculous amounts of free time to go and watch, like, the most obscure wrestling in the world... Uh, you maybe you maybe aren't aware of like the true range of his capabilities, and one of the most rewarding things for me, as someone who has like seven different subscriptions and is a complete idiot when it comes, like a total wrestling hipster, uh, the, for me one of the most rewarding things about seeing these guys come through is watching people go, oh yeah, that that that's why this guy is so revered by others. Garcia had that moment with the run of matches he had last year. Now he settled into his own awesome role as a sports entertainment guy, and now Utah has it here. There's a match last year. It's him and Garcia actually. So the list of wrestlers, I should say, I would say that should go for a full hour. I could probably count them on two hands. Not many of them. Far too ambitious for the overwhelming majority of wrestlers on the planet. And most of the people I put in that category, your Okadas, your Danielsons, your Omegas, are guys who have been doing it for up to 20 years or whatever, right? Tanahatton, maybe, no, he might break if he does that now. But you know what I'm trying to say. Utah and Garcia have been doing this for about five years each. And last year, they had a one-hour match for, I think it was on the IWTV 100 show, but don't quote me on that. It was certainly on a show that was on IWTV that is so great and has no fat whatsoever. You go back even to Brett versus Shawn Michaels and that Iron Man match, and obviously there were circumstances that contributed to that thing being so crap. Uh, Let's be honest about that. Um, But the way these guys filled every single minute of that time just offered so much in-ring hope for the future of this business in general. And here, against Brian Danielson in a far more condensed format, you've got Wheeler Utah following up on that. I thought the story in here was really, really sensational. The idea that Utah has obviously grown in things like fire and his expressiveness, and he showed that here. He showed that when he got slapped. He's coming out of his shell personality-wise. He's finding his charisma a little bit. But at the same time, they so elegantly framed him as somebody who's done his homework on Danielson and is very smart with things like the dropkick that you mentioned and things like countering the cattle mutilation almost immediately. Danielson's big kill shot. To his credit, smart guy, learning. But at the same time, 
He hasn't learned that doing these things is going to piss off yep. the biggest prick in the world uh, when he gets going. And it shows that he's gaining ground, and yet there is still a chasm between these two guys. All he ended up succeeding in doing was getting spat in the face, hit with a completely needless gotch-style pile driver that was spiteful and mean, and Danielson did just to put an exclamation point on before he got the win. Uh, was it, it was the little bell lock he ended it with, wasn't it? Yeah, he passed out. Uh, Jim Ross was incredible, by the way. Yeah, he was. <laughs> it's over, God damn it! He was like bollock and the ref because he was like being the nice avuncular guy on behalf of Goss. Uh, Just watching this torture session unfold in front of him. Really elegant stuff. Um, Wheeler Utah is so promising. I think Big Push is going to be four or five years away yet for this guy. He's still very young. Um, but watching his gradual rise through the ranks, uh, similar to Wardlow's gradual rise, and obviously they're very difficult wrestlers, as you mentioned. It's going to be so rewarding. Uh, I can't wait to see what he does next. Last week, he kind of teased maybe kicking best friends to the curb. I think that's a wise idea. I like best friends. I like all those weirdo personalities. Um, But if this guy wants to break out as a serious wrestler, he maybe needs to shed that. Uh, It's great. It's class. It's just so good. It's impossible not to invest in this. If you don't, you're an absolute idiot. Um, (laughs) We now think either of us liked the next segment. Do we need to say anything other than it's over in the arena... Yes. People like to, people are interested in it that aren't us. They should have kept the belts up until Battle of the Belts. This is a bit rubbish. It was Adam Cole and Red Dragon. Kyle O'Reilly's work, people into thinking he had like a medical issue and he was just pretending to be pissed and it was a bit wacky. That, that was funny. But that, that's, the, uh, that's yeah. the, uh, the brain police over at Reddit um, thinking that. <laughs> Um, so that was quite funny. I was thought it was a little bit amusing. <laughs> I've not seen this Reddit thread. I'll have no, to check no, it out. All bunch of the worst people in the world on there, man. Every poster on Reddit's an SOB. Um, <laughs> and they can GFY. And then Paige comes out. They tease the book shot again. Doesn't really happen again. And then they take the belts back. And what? what? Just keep the yeah. belts. If you're going to do it, if you're going to do something mid, yeah. commit to mid rather than pointless. Exactly. Commit to it. Like, literally, Adam Cole had the world title for a week. Red Dragon had the tag team belts, obviously a week because it's taped, but five days in this fictional universe. Rampage is on Friday. And it's not my kind of storyline in the first place. It's it's not what I enjoy from pro wrestling. It's cheesy. It's like overdone. It's very sports entertainment, which is another point, but commit to it. If you're going to do these things, hold it out and try and build a sense of anticipation for the baby faces vanquishing those foul evildoers and getting the belts back, beating up those punks and getting their stuff back. That's classic booking. It's whether you like the content or not, obviously I do not. Most people in the arena do. Again, fine. Um, but commit to it. The sec- Yeah, the point I wanted to, I made it in my article today was like... Where can people check that out? Wellculture.com forward slash WWE. We should probably change the URL at some point, shouldn't we? That's good for yeah, SEO. And it's good for winding up uh, mutants as well. So. It is. Double winner. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not what culture AW to stop writing about it, please. Just stop reading about it and stop being a bitch. Yeah, imagine thinking that a uh, company who earns their money off pro wrestling should just cancel coverage of the yeah, world's yeah. biggest promotion. Very strange. Um, right. The Jericho Appreciation Society, we all like it, works because they are now, they have othered themselves. This is the wrestling promotion. This is different to what goes on over there. This is yada, yada, yada. It's AEW. 
it works because they're creating, they've crafted themselves into WWE guys. It's outsider heat. Like you've said before, it's what Matt Cardona is doing in GCW. And the interloper stuff works every single time. It's why invasions are so awesome unless WWE book them. But <laughs> the point I was going to make, the idea of like pure wrestling versus sports and entertainment is kind of false when you get down to it. When you break it down, there are obviously elements that are more Stamfordian and some that are more... Jacksonvillian? Is that what we're going with? Let's go for that. But when you've got a group that succeeds so well because they're a contrast to what else is on show, you can't then go and do exactly what else is on show in Stanford in WWE with these guys, with this just overly WWE hacky stuff. It's the kind of thing I would accept, expect to play out on Raw. And if you do it and want to do it well, that's great, but you're completely undermining the outsider status of the Jericho Appreciation Society when you do that. Um, you're undermining them, you're undermining their heat, you're undermining the reason they are getting over in their new roles. Uh, maybe I'm being a little bit obtuse with this. I don't care. It's a bugbear of mine. Um... Yeah, the in-ring will be good. That We're going to go down to the NXT thing of saying, yeah, the storytelling's not quite there, but the in-ring will be good when we get to the end. So bring on Battle for the Belts. Uh, do that tomorrow as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how they're going to fill these last two weeks of TV. I'm sure they'll find something. But so far, stuff's not for me. Not for me. Not for me. Not for me either. Um, in a really nice development, and they... but. Which doesn't make sense, but in the best way, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, Tony Schiavone brings out uh, Tony Schiavone brings out Thunder Rosa for an interview, and he says, "This one's not getting interrupted." So that's not how, not how that isn't how interruptions work. Because <laughs> you don't say that you they just interrupt whether they want to or not. No one wants yeah. to get interrupted. You can't say, "Oh, don't interrupt me." It's like that's. But what it is is it's an absolute. Um, Reference to last week's absolute widespread criticism of how rubbish it was last week. It was them just saying, look, this makes no sense, but you want to hear from Thunder Rosa. It's respectful to hear from Thunder Rosa. We completely botched last week. You're not going to get that this week. You're going to get some words from the goddamn champ. And again, it's that endearing, those, what, a few trips over the words? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, it's who cares? so much better than a synthetic scripted promo. It's a human being talking, and Thunder Rosa talks very, very well. She's so likable. And yet at the same time, she's not a sap. She yeah. intersects being likable and being intimidating and being an ass kicker so goddamn well. What a great baby face. No wonder she gets these great pops every time. Thrilled to see her do well. She talks a lot about how she's not a pillar. She's the foundation. She wants to be the face of women's wrestling. And it's a really well done promo, even when it isn't, if that makes sense. Later on the night, Nyla Rose threatens her with abracadabra, bitch. <laughs> this is... <laughs> exponentially better than it was last week. Yeah, loads better, loads better. The criticism thrown at that angle last week was entirely justified. Um, the, if anything, it was under-criticized for that terrible fake green card line. Just, why? Why did why did we think that saying that on TV was a good idea? Just garbage. This week was a lot better. Thunder Rosa's a really compelling talker. She's very spirited, very fiery. Uh, like, like you say, casts herself as someone you don't want to mess with while still being endearing. And, uh, it's the kind of promo I wish she just had last week. But, you know, little make good this week. Like you say, in kayfabe, doesn't make sense to go, hey, that, you know, the angle that we did last yeah, week, we're yeah. not going to do that again, guys. Uh, that's fine. I, I appreciate them at least being a little bit transparent and go, yeah, yeah, we messed up. Here, This is something better. Um, Nyla Rose is so awesome as well. Like, the, 
She's so great. What, who, whoever looked at this woman this, and decided she needs a mouthpiece? Absolutely not. Everything she says is like a total soundbite, and her delivery is so perfect. Abracadabra, bitch. Ah, I, I love Nyla Rose promos so much. It's a shame she hasn't been able to do more of them throughout her run. But even little things like when she's powerbombing Riho through her table in the first year and, and dropping little sound bites there, she's got this really magnetic personality and charisma about her that I really wish could be exploited more. Maybe it will be exploited more if, as it looks like might be happening, she ends up shedding Vicky as a mouthpiece and goes her way, own way as a, as a babyface. I think she'd be hugely over as a babyface. She's so good on Twitter as well, which helps. I don't think that's gone unnoticed at all. She's developed like, she's become one of the better Twitter personalities. Everyone knows she is really funny and I think that they are deciding, hang on, let's make this work on television. Yeah. And I think that's the direction which they're heading after the formalities of the Thunder Rosa match are done with um, FTR backstage in the third segment of the night. That's Basically, right. just outright challenging Young Bucks. Yeah. And, I was very, and I was very happy with this as well. Fair play. Me and Murray are not going to talk about this because... Um, hey, listen. No, 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 no. I'm no. a lot more into FTR in 2022 than I was in 2020. Bit of, uh, a bit of inside baseball into the uh, the culture of the what culture office. Me and Murray have had the same conversation about FTR versus Young Bucks from Full Gear 2020 about 1,008 times. Yeah, it's about once a week. We usually just fire it up. You know, when you sit and you look, and you've got half an hour left to kill in the day and you've kind of done all your content. It's like, hey... Let's have a circular argument that goes nowhere. He <laughs> thinks it was three stars. I thought it was five. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to see another five-star match imminently if this uh, promo is any indication whatsoever. Uh, and and following this <laughs> promo, not again, not again, we get the debut of Tony Storm. The f- word I'm going to use, if it sounds patronizing, maybe it is. I found all of this nice if possible. Like, it just done enough for me. It was almost at one point trending towards disappointment. I think, again, this has got no reflection on Tony Storm, who got a pop. No real reflection on the Bunny, who's done some really solid um, handwork. There's something about this time slot. There's something about seeing women to these AEW fans. And I'm not saying all of them do this because there's smatterings around, but I just think in general the AEW audience has been trained now to not take women's wrestling seriously, no matter how good it is, because Riho versus Jamie Hayter was an absolute banger that will never be remembered as a banger because the crowd didn't care about it. And it's because of the default division that it's in. Yeah. That being said, this is not as good as Jamie Hayter versus Riho. Tony Storm, however, did get a good reaction. She did do some of her good signature. Um, it was just a, a showcase of her arsenal, um, a competitive match with the Bunny, it was fine. We know Tony Storm's capable of more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very fair description. Um, you make a good point about the time slot. Maybe this would have resonated a little bit better if it was elsewhere in the show. Maybe do it second or something. We should give them the opening yeah. once. Yeah, exactly. Get yeah. the most hyped crowd. Oh, it's Dynamite. I've been waiting ages to go and see yeah. Dynamite live. I'll pop for anything. If you do this once a month for about, once or twice a month, two or three months, people will start to... Fake it till you make it. Oh, mm-hmm. People care about women's wrestling now in AEW. I'm going to as well. It's infectious. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, it was really good to see. I was very pleasantly surprised by how huge the pop was. Like, 
Tony's obviously great, and lots of people recognize that. But you often wonder, like, how much of it is an online bubble thing? How much of that has been harmed by her time on the American? Because she was UK champion, whatever. But, like, her American run in WWE wasn't anything, really, um, beyond, like, the original Mae Young Classic, the final of which was sensational. Um, You wonder how much has that been roughed up? People maybe gone a bit sour on her. Nope, absolutely not. People still love her, and understandably so. She's very magnetic personality-wise. Um, and it, it was cool as well at the end to see like her having just a genuine emotional moment in front of this crowd who are chanting her name and really into everything. And she's like saying, thank you, I miss this, and all of this. It's like, it's nice when something real like that comes across on TV. And like, uh Maybe a squash would have been more effective for Tony's debut. I'm not sure. Uh, obviously, not. you're not squashing the bunny because you've put time and effort into presenting the bunny as kind of like a gatekeeper type person who you have to get through if you want to move up the card. Um, they've been effective in establishing her personality and Ali does a good job of bringing that personality to her working style as well. Um, she, she had a good year. Like the, the hardcore tag match obviously is a big highlight and that, that was such a hoot. They just killed each other. Yeah. It was great. Fully committed uh, to the bit. Um, so the bunny's not someone you want to squash. Maybe someone else would have been a better option if you wanted to just have her flatter than someone. But still, people are going to remember the pop. People are going to remember the te- the near tears after the bell. Tony had a great time. Strong Zero's an awesome finisher. She can kick ass with the best of them. Uh, very happy to have her in AEW. Looking forward to the run. Good debut. Yes. Indeed. Uh, finally, the main event, um, Andrade versus Darby Allen. It's a story about how absolutely shredded, ripped, muscled Andrade is. They lean heavily into this with the idea being that they are putting Andrade over and they need to put so anyone who loses nothing by losing than Darby Allen. Exactly. This was yet another illustration of that. Whether you like Darby Allen on a personal level or not, this is another one that's up for debate. He's yes. absolutely awesome at his craft. There are some disgusting spots here that are arrived at brilliantly that are also exploring the dynamic when that hulking specimen of a man, Andrade, simply catches Darby, walks around with him in suplex position and drills him onto an upturned steel steps. You had an absolutely incredible um, skateboard spot later. You got flashy Darby Allen stunts elegantly woven into the story of the spirited guy who's incredibly sort of, he's very, he perseveres very, very well. It's a word I just kind of escaped me. It's very late in the day now. I was up at 4 a.m. watching this program. But Andrade is simply too big. Yeah. He's too big, and he's too much of an arsehole who gets help from his friends. There's a slap exchange, which is awesome as well, and it ends when, like, Andrade ducks and does an overhand in the face at the same time. Wonderful sound. He gets the win with a hammerlock in the end. This was not the match I was expecting because I was expecting a singles version of the Rampage match. So I think I would have liked this way much more had I not seen that three-way, but it was still excellent for what it was. Yeah, it was excellent on a different level, wasn't it? Whereas that was kind of like a blitzkrieg spot fest, and I'm not using spot fest as a dirty word. A good spot fest is the best thing in the world. Um, Not the best thing in the world, but, you know, it's great. Um... This was, like you say, it was about showing off what a ridiculous cyborg of a man this Andrade is. Like, I tell you what, I, I, I like Darby Allen's work a lot. And uh, I appreciate the shtick and the skater aesthetic and all the spooky videos he does, all of that stuff. Um, 
but I still popped huge when he got knocked off his skateboard by this flying tree it's, of a boy. awesome. Yeah, this flipping trunk just coming out of the sky and wiping about to start things off. Uh, the bit where Andrade's like screaming down the camera lens, I'm terrified of this sexy brute of a boy. Um, his transformation as a worker, like in terms of style and how he's changed, is <laughs> something else. Um but the interferences were handled quite well as well. It's like, hey, it's the Butcher and the Blade. Oh, but hey, here's Sting, and it's neutralized and all of that stuff. Uh, really good showcase for Andrade. Like, the, the slap exchange was so great. Like, and uh, Darby just with this ill-advised, objectively dumb, never-say-die decision to provoke this guy into a slap fight that he knows is going to wipe him out by the end. It's great character stuff. Andrade's transition into the one-armed power bomb at the end was so awesome as well. Like coming out of the Fujiwara attempts and and going into the El Idolo for the finish is a really fun match. And then at the end, you get the Hardys standing tall, standing tall. That old wrestling cliche. Uh, they're North Carolina, right? But this was South Carolina, or the other way around. Uh, I don't know if there's any divide. Yeah, but it the Carolinas didn't, didn't sound like it. Yeah, they oh, got the Carolinas. Yeah, I love hearing eighties wrestling guys. So yeah. I was up in the Carolinas. Yeah, it feels like the most romantic thing in the world. Get JJ Dillon back on yeah, the show. Yeah. Remember when he got the shoe out again? Oh god. Yes. God, the wrestling nerd in me was like, "Yes, JJ, do it again." Yeah. This, yeah. This, this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. This entire episode, I thought, was absolutely tremendous. Like the the idea of the um, it happened between All Out and Full Gear. And it happened um, between Full Gear and Revolution, that lull when the next pay-per-view is very far away. That's over and done with now. Golden period yep. for me. I tweeted this, but guess what? The mega fans will forgive me. If you're not a mega fan, follow my tweets and you might understand why I inspire such devotion. <laughs> you're like a cult leader. At M. Sidgwick. <laughs> and whilst you're on Twitter, you can follow all of us at What Culture, at What Culture WWE. Uh, you can also follow Andy Murray at... At Andy H. H Murray, the H stands for hair. It's in your beard and it's graying. You're a cool guy. I agree. I want more of it. And if you want more of these podcasts, again, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get them. Um, thanks for joining us as well. We appreciate your listen. We appreciate your feedback. If you don't have time to go through uh, every tweet that we get, every reply that we get, know that if you tweet us your support, you make our lives possible. We are eternally grateful for that. So we'll see you soon. I think uh, over in the States, goddamn United States of America. They're still trying to figure out who shot JR, aren't they? I think so, yeah. yeah. Weird guys. So they'll be dropping podcasts in the meantime, so make sure to come back to the feed to check all of those out. And until then, we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.